Welcome to Building Vessar, everyone. Today we are talking about Sigil Arcana. So last week, our episode was titled Baby's First Magic. We talked about emanation and how emanation works in the world of Vessar. Emanation is not the only kind of magic. There's also Sigil Arcana. So can we start first by, Mike, you helping us distinguish between the two types of magic? Sure. Emanation happens in and through your body. So no matter what kind of uh, imminent ability you're using, you're reading someone's mind, you're uh, setting something on fire, you're moving from one place to another uh, by teleporting, whatever, you feel that happen. It's a, it's, a, it's a physical, emotional, intuitive process to channel and control. And then you're tired afterwards because your body has, has conducted this energy into the world. And that's nothing like Sigil Arcana. <laughs> sigil Arcana number one is two-step. I do something and then there's a result. Uh, whereas emanation is I just, the doing something and the result are together. The something I do is called scribing. Uh, I trace a shape uh, and then that causes an effect. The problem with Sigil Arcana is no one knows what any of the shapes actually mean. So I tell people practicing Sigil Arcana is like doing calculus from memory in a language you don't know. So there's like some, some understanding among arcanists what a given sigil might mean and then what modifiers go to it. But you're, you're creating somewhere between a sentence and an equation of telling the arcana what to do. And because of that, sigil arcana takes a long time. You know, if I'm, if I'm uh, emergent and I want to channel my power, all I have to do is like channel my power. But if I'm a scribe, uh, and people who can do Sigil Arcana are called scribes. Uh, I have to trace this sequence out. And the other thing is, sigils aren't letters. And they're not numbers. And they're not even sigils or runes in the way we would typically think of those in fantasy settings. Because sigils are three-dimensional and temporal. So it's not just um, the shape of something relative to itself. Like we know no matter how big or small the letter A is, it's a given shape, right? Um, but in a sigil, the sequence of the individual parts, if it was a letter A, it would be only letter A if all three took the same amount of time to, to scribe and if they were done in one particular order. So in Sigil Arcana, if the letter A existed, which it doesn't, you could make the letter B by tracing an A backwards, for example, right? But our letters and runes are confined to one plane, right? Sigil Arcana isn't. It's three-dimensional and temporal. Uh, so it's, it's very, very, very different. It is also, um, you know, wildly more dangerous. So... We think of emanation as dangerous because if you don't channel it, well, you might blow up. You might, you might end your life and injure or kill people around you uh, as you lose control. But if you mess up a sigil sequence, you might dig a canyon halfway across the planet. You might destroy a city. Um, you might create a 
temporal vortex that is unrecoverable, where everything uh, in in a certain space is in a recursive time loop that's tightening and tightening and tightening and tightening until you get uh, temporal deresonance. So, uh, sigil arcana is you know really really uh, tightly controlled. So very 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 different. If you're fighting something, emanation is kind of better because. It doesn't take time to set up. You know, it might a, a complicated sequence in Sigil Arcana might take a scribe five minutes, ten minutes to set up before something happens. And if you know, if a if a bear is trying to bite your face, you don't want to be like, please wait. I've got a <laughs> I got a scribe. Just give me a minute. I, you know. But if you're fighting a Titan, you know. Uh, and 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 uh, the exalted provides some cover for you. That's a very common war strategy for the Vahashath. Is emergent people go kind of hold the line, and then scribes are almost like magic artillery. It takes a long time to set up the shot, but once the shot happens, it's really powerful. If I'm a listener, I might be wondering, how do you test it? Like how 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 do you not just do the wrong thing and then bam? You've created a cavern that, you know, runs 20 miles long. Fantastic question. So, um, Sigil Archon is new. Like, it was discovered in recorded history. Now, early in recorded history, but it was, like, discovered. Uh, you know, so we've talked before about how humans aren't native to the continent of Naja, where our story takes place, but Runja are. And so when humans first met Runja, they met the mountain Runja uh, up in the, 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 the high deserts and steppes uh, in the northern part of the continent of Naja, uh, northwestern specifically. Uh, there was some conflict. Uh, the humans won. And over a period of a few centuries, they migrated south until they encountered a proper Delta Runja city, which they tried to conquer. And they got absolutely shellacked. They just their world got rocked uh, by a confrontation with a city. Humans hadn't really uh, these humans hadn't really ever seen a city before. That wasn't a thing. So it was a level of of cultural and technological sophistication they weren't prepared for. Uh, but that still, the city was on the edge of the continent because the interior of Naja was dominated by the Torfex. The Torfex are also not a native species to Naja. So in a in a pre civilization con context both humans uh, and torfex arrive you know on nausea well the torfex they dig they're tower builders that's what torfex means uh, and in one of their towers they'd found a relic uh that was obviously uh powerful but they didn't really know what to do with it so they just set it in their tower and stored it, which is a very Torfex way of handling a problem. And as uh, humans and Runja started to trade with the Torfex and then build trading encampments around towers, which eventually became cities, because why would we keep trucking stuff so far when we just trade right here? A delegation, well, you know, they were sort of looking at things potentially to trade, and the Torfex were like, hey, we've got this thing. We don't know what it is. <laughs> but it It'll make lines of light in the air, um, and you know some of those some of those lights did really great things, and this such such sigil arcana was born, uh, and then 
there was an accident, uh, a very profound accident, as they're, you know, playing with Citral Arcana. They don't know what it is. And so there became a discipline of how to study sigils and how to minimize the harm a sigil can do when you don't know what it does. So are there ways to make sigils that contain other sigils? So we can get a preview of what they do. Uh, that led to a golden age, a golden era, which we call the Age of Ascension. And that led to the Age of Collapse because it had problems. And then in the modern era, the seven, the rulers of, of Hesh, created an order called the Order of Signs, whose job it is to keep Sigil Arcana safe. So you could think of the Order of Signs as like a big global church, like the Catholic Church or, you know, a dominant sect of Islam or Judaism, and the CIA as one thing. <laughs> so it's like a, a, an institution where uh, there is no orthodoxy but orthopraxy is orthopraxis is absolute. You don't play around. You don't. You do exactly what you're told. You memorize the thing. You do it the same every time. So there's a small number of people in the world, uh, which are all high scripters, who do sigil research. They're actual sigil arcanists. They try to learn new things, and they operate from very remote facilities, and they carefully study and transcribe what they're learning. And everyone else just goes through what they've memorized. Now, that has some implications. It means the best scribes in the world are all Torifex. Torifex have some advantages here. Number one, if I'm standing on two legs, I have four free arms, which is awfully nice to, for scribing these, these shapes and sigils. And number two, uh, because they're eusocial insects, they have like an intuitive understanding of geometry, right? Bees understand hexagons really, 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 really well. They can engineer hexagons, you know, better than we can. And so a lot of sigil arcana makes intuitive sense to uh, the tour effects. And they also like doing the same thing over and over. It's just a thing bugs like to do. So they make excellent scribes. Humans and runja, however, have a little more trouble doing exactly the same thing over and over. And so one of the ways that's handled is turning scribing away from something you do with your hands and the space in front of you into something you do with your body around you. There's a form of scribing, we could almost think of this like as cursive versus manuscript, that is body movement and dance because it's actually easier to keep the sweeping arcs and timing and proportions correct if you're moving your entire body instead of sort of tracing with your hands. So listening to all of that, I can imagine, Anne, what it's like for you as the art director as you're considering how to represent all of this visually. Can you talk a little bit about what that process has been like for you and where you're at with depicting Sigil Arcana? Yeah, so viewers can actually look on our Instagram. There's an image that we posted a week or so ago of a sigil arcanist practicing this sort of very rhythmic dance-like scribing where it's in a 3D space around their body. That's one of the ways that we've directly addressed it is by mapping out how people would move through space and the reactions of their environment around them. There is still the scribing of smaller sigils 
and the studying of schedules that can get, you know, a little bit more minute, especially if there is a Tor effect scribing it. So that would look a little bit more um, precise, almost like, uh, like building the mechanisms of like a watch or something like that. Um, so those are, those are two ways that I would visually depict the scribing of sigils. Um, outside of the creation of them, they do cause things and exist in the world. And so one of the things that we look at is, uh, for instance, outside of exile, there are barriers that protect the people of exile from, you know, the dangers of the wide world beyond. And those are sigil barriers. And so one thing we look at there is there are scribes that go and they do, you know, continuous scribing and maintenance and things like that to keep those sigils going. But the sigil arcana exists all the time regardless of what's going on. And that's an, that's one example that you have in world of very obvious sigil arcana. Like you would look at those barriers, you would feel those barriers and you would know that is clearly a heavy magical thing. And so that that we would, you know, depict similar to like force fields things like that. But then there's also subtle sigil arcana. Um, in the city of Hesh, uh, sigil arcana can be used to power things for accessibility purposes like lifts or their facsimile of, of what we would relate to like indoor plumbing. And those would be things where you wouldn't necessarily look at it and say like, oh, that's a glowing magical artifact. It, it's much more practically depicted and you have arcanists whose job is to essentially do maintenance and upkeep on those things. And then one of the other areas that we have to look at for visual depiction is kind of what Mike hinted at with the researchers. That's where there's a lot of fun and leeway in the depiction of Arcana, because and in contrast to last week where we talked about how everyone's emanation is unique, their uh, depictions of it are unique, how they harness it is unique, Sigil Arcana has to be precise and the same. And so where you get to see variations are in those secluded labs where they start to experiment with sigil arcana. And you get, you get to see visually what a contained failure looks like or a success. And, and so that's been something that's really interesting to kind of explore, especially within the, within the bounds of storytelling, of figuring out like, okay, anything you're depicting has to be realistic in world. And kind of once it's depicted, it's real. And so trying to figure out, you know, our own sort of visual exper experimentation through this of, we want it to look different than emanation. We want it to be this very set thing. And so there's a lot of important structure that needs to go into the back end to making sure anything we decide on the world building team for how Sigil Arcana looks is replicable by any artist we work with and also something that stands up in continuity with the rest of the world. So impressive. So super practical question. Yeah. I love the Sigil Arcanist piece of art that we have on, Inst on, yeah, on Instagram and also in our promo video. It is in a few places. <laughs> and so that is depicted almost like this person is, I don't know, like it's light, like there's light yeah. or energy beaming from this person's fingers or something but then there's also actual uh, symbols that we have so just super practical can you do sigil arcana in sand 
carved in stone? Or is it like a force of energy that is projected from the body as symbols? One thing we've talked about is the difference in applications for sigil arcana. The option to explore, you know, perhaps carved pathing in stonework and stuff that would keep track of, you know, where you were supposed to scribe and things like that. Um, the sigil arcanist in the image on Instagram is is doing something abstract and bringing these rocks together and kind of pulling space together. Um, there's another example that we have in one of our adventures of a sigil arcanist who is scribing around these rings that are essentially a transport device. And so there are cues and things like that engraved in the rings, engraved in sort of the areas around. Because as, as Mike said, there's such a high risk if you get it wrong that they are going to leverage anything they can to make sure it is always done correctly and done right. And so while you're not exactly like scribing in rock or in sand, having cues there that show you where where to move and sort of place the sigils and the lines and, and your timing, that is completely feasible. Sigils are always scribed by an implement. By law, the only permanent implements that you can have are your own body appendages. So while it would be possible to make a, a stylus that could scribe sigils, that is a capital offense. Mm -hmm. Because if someone who wasn't a scribe picked up that stylus, well, now someone can scribe sigils who's not allowed to. So you can only uh, imbue people with the capacity to do that. And the ritual that allows people to have the ability to scribe is closely guarded. Only a handful of people in the world know it. And it takes you know a, a number of them working together to give a scribe the ability to create sigils. Once you can create sigils, you are scribing them uh, into the fabric of reality itself. So if there happens to be some glass there, <laughs> sure, you can scribe it into the glass just as easily as into the air because you're not scribing it into either. Sigils are always three-dimensional, but when they're complete, they can be flattened into a mark. Uh, so a sigil mark is like a permanent two-dimensional representation of a sigil. And trained scribes looking at a mark can work backwards into what the sigil is like. So you could think of it as a template if it's carved in stone. But a sigil that has a persistent quality to it will persist as a mark until it's done doing what it does. So, you know, it's common for there to be a stone block in the middle of a section of housing. And that stone block keeps all the houses around cool in the summer, warm in the winter, right? But only for a certain amount of time. So the sigil mark will fade. So a scribe, and what's funny is scribes can be like spies. They can be HVAC technicians. They can be wizards like we would think of in, in other media. Um, so, but the, the HVAC version of a HVAC technician version of a scribe just goes around town going to blocks and checking how old the sigil mark is and then refreshing it. And that's, you know, one sigil mark. It's your entire job is just to go around and do that, right? Someone else's job is to scribe lamp posts. <laughs> just keep the lights on. 
so you're not writing on material, but as Anne said, you do get carved in material. But it, uh, you can't overstate how important Sigil Arcana has been to the world. Because before Sigil Arcana, you had this budding partnership between humans, Larunja, and Torifex. But every cities like got wiped out all the time by titans. They got raided all the time by packs of predators, right? Uh, other creatures have emanation as well. And what Sigil Arcana created for the first time was the ability to stop emanation. They figured out there were sigils that would turn emanation off, and there were sigils that would not allow imminent things to pass through. So from that, um, the Ascendant, they kind of before the Exalted, they were the Ascendant, they were the rulers of the world. Uh, they mastered Sigil Arcana to agree the Order of the Signs has not. And they built these things called Stila, which were towers made of sigils. They turned sigils into a physical material. Uh, Apazon, which is uh, uh, means titan glass in the Runja. So they build these big towers that are truly indestructible, and they stand on top of them, and they scribe sigils toward another tower, and then an invisible barrier connects those two towers. And then nothing imminent can pass through it. Not emergent, not the ascendant, and not a titan. And building the networks of these towers is how they slowly expanded from a bunch of, you know, constantly decimated city-states into the Amazov Empire that covered the entire continent of Naja. It was Sigil Arcana that made that possible. There's something interesting that you've hinted at, because we've already kind of laid the groundwork for the Age of Ascension existed, and then it ended into the Age of Consequence. And we touched on last week um, with the emergent sort of some of the tasks that they do day to day. And there is a clear division between the emergent and the order of signs because there can be no emergent person who knows sigil arcana now. Like that's, that's something that's completely and strictly outlawed. And on the other hand, while sigil arcana is so powerful, it is slow. And so there's, there's a necessary relationship between the two, and Mike's hinted at, like, some of the defense capabilities and stuff like that. But there's also very commonly cases where the two need to work together to venture outside of exile, to find things, to look at the stela and other artifacts that they could find from the Age of Ascension. And they need to have a scribe with them to interact with the sigils, to bring things back to the city for study and for learning to to rebuild essentially from the destruction that's happened but they also have to have essentially their emergent guard with them and it it enters into a very interesting tension between the two because in that capacity the emergent are very much a necessity for the order of signs and they are putting their safety in their hands and yet when they get back to exile they are also what's containing the emergent into exile and essentially making sure they can't leave or use emanation in the township itself. And, and so there's a lot of interesting interactions between the two forces that have been split by necessity and a little bit of fear to keep them separate, but it's inevitable that they have to cross paths and interact. The seven are like regular people, right? The rulers of Hesh. Every elected official, every bureaucrat, uh, every major business owner, they all share in common. They can't do magic. So the last thing the seven, 
and the and the people who keep the Senate in office want is class solidarity between scribes and the emergent. So there is an engineered tension between those two groups. So bringing it back to our game, Exile, when a person plays, how do they encounter Sujal Khanna? You, you kind of hinted at it a little bit in your in your last statement, but how might a player experience Sigil Arcana? We actually have an adventure that's set already, and it is a very common one that you would do, where you are obviously your expeditioners, you have passed your right and are capable of going out into Alataic, and one of the jobs you might be given, depending on how you're playing, what you're playing, is to escort a scribe to a location. You've been given some information about this, and it is your job to make sure they get there safely, that they find what they're looking for and interact with it and bring it back to exile. And and so those sorts of like retrieval missions are very common. Um, there's also like possibilities in other situations where you might be sent out to a research lab to bring them supplies or to take back their findings and, and communicate those. And there's all, I mean, there, there's tons of possibilities in there to interact with the Order of Signs, some of which are public knowledge, some of which are kind of, you know, kept secret. People don't talk about those missions, but they, they're happening all the time. Um, but yeah, that's, on, honestly, there's very early. Such a great opportunity to experience that tension when you're role playing then to understand the larger context of how these two groups of the emergent and the arcanist kind of interact together without that context, you wouldn't necessarily know. You just think, Oh, I'm going on an adventure, but to have that context is really helpful because you can really play with those different levels of tension, <laughs> you know, you know, it's been tough. The scribes like from a world perspective, we're writing novels or screenplays. Scribes and Torfex are a lot of fun. As a game designer, Scribes and Torfex are really tough. Like, there's a reason if you play Exile, you can play as an emergent human or Runja only. You can't play a scribe and you can't play a Torfex because the, it, it would be tough to make those types of play included without just utterly breaking the game. Um, you know, Torfex have uh, a, an ability to smell, if we could even call it smell, an awareness of molecules around them that, that we can't fathom, which basically gives them not just telepathy, but special memory. Like if I walk into a space and another Torfex has been there recently, I know almost everything they knew. Um, you know, if I'm trying to find something, I just smell it out like it's you know for for a game master trying to put a challenge in front of players Torfex could trivialize a lot of things and then other times would be basically a suitcase oh we're crossing a river Torfex can't swim he just can't um in the same way you know the power of sigil arcana uh it's it's tough to cut now we're working on it we have some ideas on how scribes can be yeah brought into to gameplay maybe not exile gameplay but eventual gameplay um but it's wild the tension between setting building and game building and one thing that we do is like the setting wins so that's that what makes exile kind of a unique game in that the world is not built around the game 
The game is to facilitate storytelling in the world. And that's a, that's a very different approach than is common in, in TTRPGs or in video games. Mike, one question we've gotten from audiences is just asking about the difference between Exile the Game and Exile the Place. Can you talk a little bit about that? Exile is built on the ruins of a city called Suktu from the Age of Ascension, or the Age of Ascendance, excuse me. And it's across the sea from Hesh. It's a place people live. Mostly uh, the emergent, and then like some non-emergent people who just like live in a little town, the port, because stuff gets shipped in and out of here, and you need people to do that. And then there's the Tower of the Augury. So there's like a, an encampment of the order of signs there, right? So it's kind of three pieces of exile. Uh, the reason the game is called Exile is because it's set in exile. <laughs> so it's just, uh, it, it is, a, it is a, a reasonable name for the game because if you're playing Exile, you're really not going to do anything in Hesh. Hesh is a thing that news comes from afar from, uh, but there's not really a gameplay path for your, you know, uh, even sixth right emergent character to go to Hesh. And if your character becomes one of the exalted, congratulations, you've just made an NPC in the game. Like, that's not going <laughs> to, you're not going to keep playing as an exalted. So, Exile the Game takes place in Exile the Place. There's also the fact that they are in exile. Like, obviously, they're in the place on the map called Exile, but when emergent people show their potential, they are taken out of their homes in Hesh and sent into exile. So there's a little bit of, you know, a play on words there. I mean, what's better than a double entendre? A triple entendre. Quadruple entendre. It would even be better. We might hit it. The The place being called exile isn't ironic. It's intentional. It is meant as framing. And so the emergent compromise, which is where exile came from, is meant to be an act of great compassion towards the emergent. Um, and it was not accidental that once we named the place emergent go to train and to be safely separated from the rest of us, that many people started calling emergent people no longer emergent, but exiled. They start saying the exiled instead of emergent. And a, a majority of people in Hesh don't say emergent. Uh, they say, you know, well, we're glad the exiled have a place to be. Uh, kind of propaganda. So it does give this, like, we have a game called Exile that's set in exile with people in it who are exiled. Uh, but it's all it's all very intentional in-world. Uh, it's, it's, you know, it's propaganda. And to tie it back in with the topic we were talking about today the force that makes sure that the exiled stay in exile is the Order of Signs. Sigil Arcana is what makes sure that not only are they kept safe from outside threats, but they stay inside. And it's nuanced. Because the Order of the Signs does actually protect exile from titans. And the guards that stand around the conservatory where emergent train they do have fast sigil sequences prepared to suppress the emanation of a novice who's about to lose control and maybe die. So they're not, it's not accurate to just think of them as like prison guards. They aren't. The, the, the emergent and 
scribes really do work together and really do depend on each other and really do rely on each other, which is why the state has to use so much propaganda to keep them from becoming too close allies. But friendships between scribes and emergent would be commonplace, as, as well as there would be some emergent who would say, effing scribes, I just, I can't stand them. They're... There are there are prison guards. You know what I mean? The, it's it's there's this in setting tension about the tension. Not everybody agrees on who's good or who's bad or who's an ally or who's an enemy or who's a frenemy. Great fodder for some fun character development. Mm-hmm. Okay, that wraps up our episode today. If you have a question for us to discuss on building Vesser. Please go to our socials at World of Vesser and leave a comment. We will be sure to answer it on this podcast. Thank you for listening, everyone. To join our waitlist and be the first to know about upcoming events, go to Vesser.com, V-E-S-S-E-R.com. And please join us next week for more of Building Vesser. Pafua Amedeju Arasu.